Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I was in the Marine Corps for about six years. When I got out, I worked for several different companies with the government. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I was not emotionally or financially stable enough to re-enter the civilian world. So after talking to somebody in the Department of Defense, I took a job at this particular base. I did know what I was getting into, but I knew it would be better than jumping out of a plane or simply blowing things up. I had heard rumors about strange bases and all kinds of top-secret projects over the years, but I never saw any proof of their existence until I began working on this particular base. It was a hot base, meaning that we had active duty personnel as well as contractors working there. The first couple of months were all pretty uneventful, except for the fact that my security clearance kept getting higher and higher. I was working in a very small office with only six desks in the room. 
with five other people. I was the low man on the totem pole, so I got stuck in the back room with no windows. The walls must have been soundproofed with foam. Whenever somebody slammed a file cabinet door or dropped something on their desk, it sounded like a bomb going off. One day, my boss told me to follow him, and he took me down a series of hallways until we got to a special room. Inside this room were shelves and Shelves of computers and what looked like either contraptions made out of metal or other materials. He informed me that these were real alien artifacts from a crash site located in Roswell, New Mexico. These were replicas from the late 1940s and they looked pretty new. I have no idea how they made these or got these, but they also had several other replicas and models of other devices built by engineers who had studied them. I kept asking my boss questions about these artifacts, but he kept brushing me off and would tell me to focus on the work. I couldn't stop thinking about them, so I tried to do some digging on my own. It was not very long before I started finding my own things. We had several different projects going on, and everybody worked in a cubicle with a desk, a chair, and a computer. On the opposite wall of the room were several bulletin boards with different memos, white papers, and reminders. I was at my desk one day looking for a copy of an email when I noticed that there were several memos up there, top secret ones, and they did not have the clearance level next to them. It was the titles of these memos that struck me as odd, so I decided to print them off and take them back to my desk. I will list the titles. I have no idea what they mean. Project Grudge, Operation Blue Flea, Magic 12. The project names intrigued me, so I printed them off and took them back to my desk. I opened up Google and typed in Project Grudge and Operation Bluefleet. The only thing that came up were people asking what these projects were and conspiracy theorists saying they were watching them. To make a long story short, I spent hours and hours looking through various government documents, especially anything that had to do with projects related to aliens. My curiosity was driving me crazy. To say that I got to talking to it was a bit of an understatement. Shortly after, I was monitored and I had a talking to for observing and looking over these documents. I was actually transferred to a base across the country with all my clearance redacted. I was told the entire reason I was transferred was due to a bad attitude and not complying with my job. Of course, that was on paper, but the real reason was because they were investigating me. They wanted to know what I'd found and who I was talking about. What started out as a favor to one of my best friends ended with me being transferred to another state, having to start all over again. Fortunately, I kept copies of everything I'd found, all the documents. About two months after my arrival at the new base, three weeks before I was about to be rotated out of the service, I was called into an interrogation room. I was grilled for about three hours by someone from my old base. I was told that I could not speak of anything I had seen, read, or heard. They also made me sign several non-disclosure agreements and federal documents. My life was threatened if I ever planned on leaking any of this information. I guess we'll see what happens. Now, I'm going to go by the name of John Doe for this email. The short of it is this. Don't talk to anybody about anything you see, read, or hear at your job if it is not given to you on a silver platter. Government and military jobs are very dangerous for your mental health. Believe me, 
I don't know what they do to people who talk about the things they know, but I do know what they told me, and I'm going to have to be very careful. My name is Alex, and I used to be a part of one of the most elite Navy SEAL teams. We were known for our unwavering loyalty, dedication, and commitment to serving our country. But something changed, and it shook us to our core. A rogue group of ex-Navy SEALs, disillusioned and bitter, broke away from the path of honor and duty. They formed a deadly mercenary organization, calling themselves Valkyrie, and they embraced a life of selling their lethal skills to the highest bidder. The very idea of our former brothers-in-arms becoming enemies of the state left a bitter taste in our mouths. Their actions were brazen and reckless. Valkyrie embarked on a spree of high-profile heists, disrupting peace and threatening global stability. Their targets were high-value assets, and each successful operation fueled their dangerous reputation. As the chaos escalated, our government was left with no choice but to deploy an elite counter-terrorist team, which included me and some of my former comrades, to confront the rogue SEALs. The mission was personal for us as we felt responsible for bringing our wayward brothers back from the brink. The game of cat and mouse between our teams unfolded across continents, with Valkyrie striking with ruthless precision and disappearing into the shadows. The line between friend and foe blurred as we hunted those we once trusted with our lives. Emotions ran high and loyalties were tested at every turn. With each encounter, it became evident that our former teammates had truly turned into adversaries. Their hearts had grown cold and their actions proved that they were willing to sacrifice anything for their twisted cause. In Yemen, we received intel that Valkyrie's enigmatic leader known only as Black Eye, was holed up in a heavily fortified compound. The tension was palpable as we prepared for the final confrontation, knowing that this would be the moment of truth. The compound was a maze of danger, and we moved with utmost caution, aware that any misstep could lead to disaster. The familiar scent of gunpowder filled the air as the sounds of gunfire echoed through the corridors. The faceless enemy we once called our own, now adorned with a Valkyrie insignia, confronted us with relentless fury. It was a battle of wills, skill, and determination. The stakes were high, and we knew that failure was not an option. In the heart of that compound, amidst the chaos of the firefight, I found myself face to face with Black Eye. His eyes were cold and devoid of any semblance of the person I once knew. It was a painful reminder of how far he had fallen. The seconds felt like an eternity as we locked eyes. And then it happened. I pulled the trigger and Black Eye fell, his lifeless body crumpling to the ground. It was a moment of closure, but it also brought with it a heavy burden of regret. The explosive showdown in Yemen marked the end of Valkyrie's reign of terror, but it also left scars on our souls. Our hearts were heavy as we returned home, knowing that we had lost brothers on both sides of the battlefield. I think I had an encounter with Wendigo. 
My friends and I recently went to Sierra National Forest for a camping trip, about two hours deep for dispersed camping. The day was wonderful. I personally ended up falling asleep fairly early, 10 a.m. When I woke up, half my group was in shambles from an unsettling story. Our campsite was all close together. However, one of the individuals slept in a hammock about 50 feet from everyone else's tent. When we woke up, he had us if anyone else heard me scream his name. The strange thing here is I've referred to him by a personal nickname rather than his name for years. He had expressed to us that he heard the yell of his name in my voice around 3 a.m. And it sounded far away, however, nobody else heard it. Just thought that was very strange. This happened about two weeks ago, and we're still chatting about it as a collective. I can't tell you what I saw that day, but I can describe it. I lived in Skycomish, Washington, for a couple years and was curious about Sasquatch. I've had a couple of experiences, but this was different. I was out for a walk with my dog one afternoon in the summer of 2018 and turned to see something watching us from behind an embankment. It looked like a tree stump. I stopped and stared at this thing for 30 seconds. It had owl-faced features, but it was huge. The head of it was sticking up from behind this embankment, and it was the size of an old growth tree stump. I was close to this thing, about 20 feet away. I could see its eyes were closed, but squinting to observe me. It almost seemed sloth-like. It had designs that were a cross between bark lines and owl-pattern marks. I felt no fear at all. I was staring at it and said, What the hell is that? My dog didn't notice it. After a bit, I looked down and stepped forward without feeling threatened. When I looked back up, it was missing. I stood there for a minute, then got spooked and went home. I walked back to that spot and stood there every day, looking for whatever it might be. I saw that day. I walked behind the embankment one time and sized it up to be about six feet tall, so whatever I saw was about seven, two, or eight feet tall, I estimate. There are lots of super eerie calls in the area. A lot of Sasquatch. I believe there are other undocumented creatures as well. I have some photos of odd things, but did not have my camera on me that particular day. My aunt lives on a hill overlooking a city in Southern California. It usually takes about 15 minutes of dirt road driving and and a bit of off-roading to get there, driving over rocks through giant trees and by a burnt-down depression era maintenance house. The view is spectacular, but it is isolated due to the difficulty and type of car required to get to the house. Situated above a depression era orange grove, it would be very difficult to get to this house without directions and help. My family simply refers to this as the hill due to the isolation and seclusion that accompanies being there at night. When you're there at night, you're staying there. There's no real getting down the hill at night. One winter night, my aunt and uncle were watching TV when a knock came about on their front door. Not only was this completely strange, but nearly impossible due to the navigation required along with the winter cold. My uncle didn't bother locking his door due to the seclusion. Before my aunt could peek a look at the door, three men in all white were overlooking them. They asked, 
Is this the battered women's shelter? Unbeknownst to the intruders, my aunt's two sons were laying on the floor and stood up. These men had met their equal and slowly backed out the door before undertaking the long drive back. The final theory of who these guys were was Manson sympathizers. They probably intended to take advantage of my aunt and met their match. Lucky they were unarmed and not expecting a fight. The hill is a scary place at night. When I was 19, I had to complete basic military service in Austria, just like every Austrian around that age. During my time in the military, we still had border controls. So, of course, my fellow recruits and me were called to action. After we completed our basic training, this was in November in the border region we were stationed at always had thick fog at this time of the year. In the later evening hours, and the night especially, one night I was sent on patrol with a guy I didn't have much to do with at that point, as he wasn't one of my fellow recruits, but a private who volunteered for the operation, that he did get paid rather well. Over the course of a single night, patrols were required to visit a number of small cabins that acted as outposts and to stay there for a while. So at one point in the night, we arrive at this one, outpost in the middle of nowhere, only fields and woods in plain view, freezing cold and thick fog as always. At first we just wanted to hang out in the cabin, but apparently that particular one was inhabited by a family of rats or mice or whatever, as pretty much the whole cabin was covered in fecal matter. So we thought we'd just smoke a cigarette outside and then be on our way to the next outpost. As we're standing in the cold smoking, I suddenly hear weird but rather remote noises from the fog-covered woods to the left of us. A few moments later, in a flash, the noises hit again, although much louder and obviously closing in. Heavy but fast, determined steps and a weird combination of gasping and deep grunting, charging directly in our direction. We instantly stare at each other in shock, and he screams, run. We both bolt to the cabin, lock the door, assault rifle at the ready, and unlock. I like to think that I'm a very collected person, but at this very moment, I'd probably have discharged my whole magazine into whatever would come bursting through that very door. Standing there in suspense, thinking it can't get much worse, the cadet, who seemed like a completely regular guy up to this point, suddenly turns and says, I did not tell you that I'm a vampire, did I? I didn't get what he wanted to imply with this statement at that time because I had a classmate back in school who apparently also believed to be a vampire. So I was just like, yeah, cool story. But apparently in this very moment, this lunatic genuinely believed that he was a vampire who was being attacked by a werewolf of all things. It was even full moon, and I was being locked into the same cabin as him with an unlocked assault rifle and 30 shots. We waited for at least one hour, and although nothing did attempt to tackle that door ultimately, we did actually see a rather large shadow lurking in the moonlit fog outside through the cabin window for some minutes. It needs to be noted that I grew up in the city and am thus not really accustomed to the sounds of wildlife. From a rational point of view, it must have been a wild boar, 
They can be actually aggressive, depending on the season, as there should be no bears or similar animals in that region anymore. I was never again scared so shitless, though. My name is Jonathan, and I've been a ranger for 12 years now. I've always loved working in the forest. You see, it's very quiet, peaceful, and it feels like it's the only career path where you can really be one with nature. But I've experienced some paranormal things here and there, ranging from unexplained to downright terrifying. I'm going to start this story off with what happened. I won't mention the name of the town, but I'll say that it's very old, and the only people that live out there are, are those who either used to live out there or people who enjoy living away from civilization completely. The majority of its population is elderly, which means when we get a call in the middle of the night, it usually means that somebody has passed away. This time was different, however, because it was not an elderly person who had died. It was two hikers, two college students to be exact. They were trekking through the woods when they stumbled upon a large tree that had managed to fall over them, but it was wedged between several other trees. Now even though we wrote it down as the tree fell on them, I'm going to tell you what really happened. The witness that I interviewed said she had watched them go up about ten feet before turning around to head back to town. That's when she saw this massive canine leap out of nowhere, attacking both of them. It dragged one of the girls off, but ripped the other girl right in half, spilling out her innards on the tree below. When my partner and I went out there together, we found their bodies less than 100 feet away from each other, which is why we had to write this down as a tree fell on them. It just makes the paperwork easier. Now, no trace of this creature or canine was ever found. Their bodies and faces were so mangled, recognition was nearly impossible. We had to use dental records to do it. This was also very close to town and in view of a lot of the community, which is why we had several witnesses. Personally, I have no idea what could have done this or why it happened, but I know one thing's for sure. Seeing a young woman like that ripped apart by something like, I don't know, a werewolf really does a number on you. Anyway, I hope this story was enough to convince you that the woods aren't always exactly safe. Take it from a guy like me who works in this job field. I see it and experience it a lot more than we're allowed to talk about. It was later in the evening when I was driving back to my in-law's house by myself and was going down a dirt road. I saw something in the ditch up ahead and on the right and didn't really know what it was until I got up far enough so that my headlights could catch it. I didn't know anything about dogmen until a couple of years ago. This thing had an outline of a huge dog, but when I got closer it turned and looked at me. I just floored it. It didn't really bother me until I noticed it looking at me and I saw that it was actually grasping what it was eating. I got back and didn't say exactly what I saw. I just asked them if there were any big dogs or wolves up where they lived. My father-in-law just laughed and said no. Then he asked why. I didn't say anything. The thing I will never forget are the reddish-orange eyes that just kept staring at me.
I'll never forget that day in Grand Canyon National Park. The rumors of strange sightings had been circulating among the visitors for weeks, and as the park ranger, I couldn't ignore the whispers any longer. Cryptids, creatures of legend and myth. I was skeptical, to say the least, but duty called and I had to investigate. One morning, during my routine patrol, a foul odor filled the air. It was putrid and overpowering, drawing me in like a magnet. I followed the stench into the depths of the deep woods, the ancient trees towering above me. The smell grew stronger with every step, and I couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching me. As I emerged into a small clearing, my heart skipped a beat. There, on all fours, was the creature I had only heard about in wild stories. It was unlike anything I had ever seen. Its fur was black and matted, hinting at the struggles of its untamed existence. Its face resembled that of a wolf, but with a broader and shorter muzzle, making it appear oddly menacing. Those eyes, oh, those eyes. They were yellow, but not the vibrant hue of sunflowers. No, they glowed with a dim, eerie amber, red that sent shivers down my spine. Its ears resembled those of a Doberman pincher, with a distinct cropped effect. And those front legs, they were unnaturally long, like those of a bodybuilder. The paws were more like massive hands adorned with razor-sharp claws. The creature stood up on its hind legs, and I couldn't believe my eyes. The sickening, popping sound filled the air echoing as if amplified through loudspeakers. I felt the ground tremble beneath me as its massive, steroid, pumped body rose to an astounding height. There was no tail that I could see, and it towered over me even from a distance of ten meters. I was no giant myself, standing at five foot four inches, and this creature was a colossus in comparison. My curiosity overwhelmed my fear, and I found myself inching closer, cautiously observing the cryptid in awe. Suddenly it let out a howl that resembled more of a ferocious roar, and my heart pounded in my chest. This was it. I dared to take a few more steps, yearning for a closer look. But my presence had not gone unnoticed. The creature's head snapped in my direction, its yellow eyes locking onto mine. With a swift and graceful movement, it turned and sprinted away, its howls echoing in the distance. I was left standing there, trembling and in awe of what I'd witnessed. There was no doubt now, all those cryptid sightings reported by visitors were true. The legends were real, and I had come face to face with one of them. In September 2002, I was living in my camper truck at the top of the McNair Creek Valley near Port Mellon, British Columbia. One foggy morning, I climbed up into the old growth and wandered around eating blueberries and listening. I had my sturdy hiking stick, but was not even carrying any bear spray. After a few hours, I headed back to my camp. I had to walk down a steep scree field at the base of which was my front bumper. Carefully, step by step, I descended the wobbly boulders on my wobbly ankles. I stepped off the last boulder onto a flat old road surface just in front of my truck. When I raised my eyes, I saw that some scraggly bushes six feet away were shaking and vibrating. I thought there must be some squirrels fighting in there. 
That is the only thing that could make bushes vibrate like that. I stepped forward and poked my stick into the branches to separate them. Suddenly the shaking area grew to a larger area, three feet in diameter. Then this area of violently vibrating bushes moved away from me and accelerated up a steep slope. Out of curiosity, I tried to follow it, looking into the hole it was making in the vegetation. There was nothing in the hole. The running hole in the forest displaced vegetation in the shape of a tall, bipedal, hefty creature. It went up that steep slope as fast as the fastest running man you could ever see. It disappeared from my sight over the top of the slope. Wow, I thought, an invisible Sasquatch, and I'd been two feet away from it. I must have poked it in the shin with my stick. It was afraid of me. I write this for other people who have experienced the predator. Glimmer man, that's what we call it. From the many accounts I have read, this thing is something different from a Sasquatch. From reading many accounts, it is an alien with cloaking and anti-gravity technology. It watches people and it likes to run through the forest. I harvested my first three bucks with my bow when I was 13 years old. I harvested them back to back three weekends in a row. I had an excellent teacher, my dad. I grew up in a small town called Morganza in Louisiana. Not far from there is where I learned to hunt on an island called Rikasi Island. I've also been a hunting guide and horseman for years in Colorado. I live in south central Pennsylvania now after moving 16 years ago to Maryland. On March 5th, I'll be 51. I had numerous experiences with these beings. I'll throw out two or three short ones. At least I'll try. When I was 17 years old, I was in a tree stand, bow hunting about eight feet off the ground to get to this particular stand. This was off the Mississippi River across the canal. I could hear something huge running towards me. I could hear it when it jumped over the canal and landed. What scared me the most was how heavy it sounded. Definitely bipedal, as if it were tapping on drums from a long distance. It just got louder and louder until it stopped in front of me about 50 yards in a huge thicket before getting close. I remember standing up on the deer stand to give me more height because I knew what was coming. It was going to be monumental. Through the thicket I can see it silhouetted at about a 45 degree angle, at least 4 feet wide and 8 to 9 feet tall. I don't know why, fear I guess, but I immediately said, Hey, there, there's someone hunting here. It immediately snorted and huffed twice or three times like it was trying to smell me. It started running again, then stopped again. Frightened out of my mind, I yelled out, That's a good way to get shot. I heard the last stick break and the last thud of its weight. I jumped out of the stand, hit the swamp behind me, and waded through the alligator-infested waters to get to the levee to get back to town. The only way I could go back was through those woods. I knew that in less than a week I was moving to Maryland. Me and a buddy decided to camp out 200 yards or more from where that happened on the Mississippi River. We did this for four or five days. We were going to walk out along the Mississippi River one night and walk through the swamp and over the levee to a friend of mine's house to watch the movie Friday the 13th. Trying to keep it short, We'll meet two more of my friends at the house. 
We could hear them coming on the levee by three wheelers. We were just about to turn off the Mississippi River to go through the swamp when three bright lights appeared in the air. Everything fell silent, which is remarkable for a swamp at night. Yes, it was a UFO. Me and my buddy were standing there. I thought we would be abducted. This thing was fifty yards wide. Three glowing lights in a triangle formation, not shining on the ground, but illuminating the treetops. It was on top of a levee 150 yards from us. It was not a light bouncing in the sky a mile away, not a glowing orb, but a huge UFO. I could have thrown a baseball and hit it. It turned in a circle and soared up about 50 feet and soared straight up like a lightning bolt. Some people claim that sometimes when Bigfoot sightings occur, there are UFO sightings nearby, but this is where things get weird. Yes, I believe in Bigfoot 100%. It is my hope that I will never see one again. 100% I believe in UFOs and hope I don't encounter one again. I can't even tell these stories to my best friend without ridicule. I thought it would be funny if one could just walk up and smack the hell out of him while he hunted. I think there's something more sinister in the woods. Of all the stories I've heard of Bigfoot, I've never heard one make noise in another story. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Like the one did with me. I'm wondering if it was a dogman. I did not see a snout nor a clear view of the face, either. I have one that a friend shared with me in a few encounters I have heard about in my area. I also have had some weird things that have happened to me in the woods over the last few years. My name is Will. No one should feel the shame for experiencing something strange in the woods. I have a dogman story. One of my good friends shared with me. Our friend grew up here in Maryland with me, and I've known her since high school. She lives out of state now, but when she visits, we always exchange hiking stories and things we see out in the woods. Her job involves her being out in the woods for days at a time, so she is very familiar with all the things out in nature. One day we're talking about weird stuff we have seen and heard in the woods. She told me something that shocked me. Let me preface this by saying she knows I'm interested in the Bigfoot topic and that I have experienced weird things. So she felt comfortable telling me what happened to her. 
She told me while taking a trip to Southern Maryland to visit a college campus with her mom. There's a spot in the road that people apparently see the ghost of a Civil War soldier cross the road. As they're getting closer, the spot she said that a giant black dog ran across the road and in front of the car on all fours. She told me the dog's back was five feet off the ground. She said it happened so fast that her mind didn't register what had happened until they're further down the road. She asked her mom if she saw it too, and she had no idea what she was talking about. If I'm not mistaken, I think she got her mom to drive back to the spot where it crossed, and she saw nothing. The crazy part of the story is I have never mentioned to her that people see these dogmen, cryptids. I completely trust her and believe her story. I showed her some pictures of dogmen I've seen seen on the internet and that artists have drawn. She immediately pointed to one that looked like a black German shepherd. There's a river I go hiking along that has some terrifying encounters with a creature that looks like a hyena with a lion's mane. I pray to God before I go hiking here that I do not run into this thing. I haven't had any gut feelings telling me to leave or anything like. Therefore, I still go out doing what I love. Apparently, back in year 2003, men were wading in the river while fishing. One day, they went around a bend and saw this hyena-type dogman in the river, and it was drowning a deer. Then it apparently bluffed, charged the three men, then scooped up the deer with one arm and walked away into the woods on two legs. Travel further south down this river, someone else was apparently chased on their dirt bike by another hyena-type dogman, and this happened only a few years ago. I wonder if it was the same one. It seems like if you follow this river north Bigfoot, encounters happen near this wildlife refuge. I recently heard of a sighting where one of these things grabbed someone and the guy passed out from fear. This apparently happened just a few miles away from where I'm sitting right now in an upper-middle-class area that is highly populated, and there aren't that many areas that have woods anymore because of more houses being built. I personally believe their stories. There's a lot of reports of these things in Maryland. If you're interested, Google Dwayul. The year was 2019. I was getting home from my shift at the local grocery store around 11.30 p.m. I had to open the store in the morning and get up at 5 a.m., so I decided to stay up. I came inside the house, locked up, and turned on the lights in the kitchen. I decided to make coffee to keep myself awake. As I was filling the pot with water when something in the kitchen window caught my eye, a face pressed against the glass, wide-eyed and grinning. There it was again. The skinman. It had stood up on a railing on our back porch and leaned onto the window. I screamed, spilling water everywhere. It seemed startled and dropped from its perch, hitting the porch with a thud. It ran away, or so I thought. I ran around the house making sure everything was locked, including the windows. As I did so, I saw the large bushes on the side of the house rustle violently. It seemed to follow me from window to window. I ran into my office on the basement floor. It had a window just above ground level. I shut the shade and quivered in my desk chair. 
It must have seen the light from my office because it paced back and forth in front of it for about two hours, breathing heavy, raspy breaths. I eventually fell asleep. I almost skipped work that morning because I didn't want to leave the house, but I decided I wanted to get as far away from whatever it was for as long as possible, so I ended up going. I now have a constant fear of looking out windows at night and compulsively check the locks on my doors before bed. I can't imagine this ever being seen, but a month ago I finished a trip where I rode a motorcycle from Sydney to London. Most nights I slept on the side of the road, this including sleeping in a goal in Balistan, where Pakistan meets Afghanistan and Iran, and many nights on the Syrian snowed-in border of Iran. Anyway, one night I was camped out on the south coast of Turkey, enjoying the warmth of clear blue sea. I was roasting some fresh fish over a fire and drinking cheap wine. I had not spoke to anyone really for days beyond some limited Turkish to acquire wine and fuel. Anyway, I pissed on the fire to put it out and turned on my headlamp. Before I got into my swag, this is the Australian name for a bedroll or tent, there were these two super reflective eyes, just the Chester cat almost. It was so incredibly spooky. Because the light was not strong and these eyes were a bit of a distance, I could not see anything but these two eyes, just floating in otherwise complete darkness. I felt cold in a way that I had not since I squat camped in several feet of snow in Iran. I threw a rock at these eyes, just to get rid of them. The eyes didn't move at all as my rock vanished into the darkness. They just kept looking at me, in this darkness, alone. If it was like a raven situation, I became obsessed with these two eyes. I threw another rock. The eyes vanished. I relaxed. A few minutes later, just before I pulled my bedroll over me, the eye reappeared so much closer this time. So very, very close. It's just a cat, I told myself repeatedly. How the F are you so scared of a cat in this part of the world? You have ridden this shitty bike across part of the world that people have never even heard of. It's just a cat. I, I finally managed to go off to sleep. With this cat watching me, from 18 months of sleeping illegally on the side of the road. This was by far the worst night's sleep I have ever had. A friend of mine used to do a lot of hiking alone. Not overly sensible, but he really knew what he was doing. He went on this very long hike in rugged terrain and hot sub. Tropical weather. The hike was long. Ten days or so. Obtaining water was always a problem. He had to find soaks and little trickles at which to fill his bottles, which was often navigationally challenging. A day or two into his walk, he found that he was getting really serious heat rash to his crotch, caused probably by shorts he was wearing that were made from some newfangled fiber but weren't breathing properly. He only had one pair of shorts with him, so he'd taken to walking in his saggy old underwear. He'd been doing this for a few days and had totally got used to just wearing his underwear. He had a machete on a belt because it was very thick vegetation to be working through. 
At this time, my friend had sort of longish, tangled hair and quite an unkempt beard. One day, he failed to find an expected water point, and he was getting seriously worried about dehydration. Towards evening, he came across a small house in a clearing in the middle of nowhere. He couldn't see any obvious signs of life, and he yelled hello a couple of times, but decided there was no one around. He could see a rainwater tank and figured no one would mind him taking a few lighters. So he filled his bottles and walked off. He had one last look back and saw a scared female face peeking through a window of the house. He left her alone and kept walking. My friend is ultra-friendly, wouldn't hurt a soul, so I suppose he'd only been thinking about the situation from his point of view. But he realized that from the point of view of the person in the house, this bedraggled, wild-haired guy in dirty clothing wearing no pants had emerged from the dark forest, carrying him a kit. This is my parents' story. I can ask any questions if more context needed. My parents are pretty avid hikers, and they don't go super far, but they hike almost every week. Just this weekend, they went to Larch Mountain and claimed they heard a mechanical beeping, followed by several loud grunts. The beeping started and slowly moved around as they listened. At first, my mom thought it could have been some device, but there were no people nearby and no other cars in the lot. We've also looked at a lot of bird noises to see if any of them matched, but so far nothing. After a few more beeps, my mom and dad both heard six, eight loud grunts. The way they described it, they expected something to be right next to them. The noises sounded like grunts, but not growls, like making an ub noise at the top of your lungs. My mom went to run, but my dad stopped her and reminded her to stay still since you're not supposed to run when you encounter a large animal, just to show how loud and close it sounded. The noises stopped as soon as my dad spoke and my parents immediately left. I'm kind of skeptical when it comes to paranormal stuff, but I really don't know what this could be. Any help appreciated. This happened when I was around D16, 17, 23 now. I spend a lot of my time out in the woods near my home. It's not exactly a secluded area, but I will never forget this strange-ass occurrence. I live in a subdivision in Atlantic Canada mostly populated by your average families. I grew up with lots of kids my age living nearby, and we would spend our time hanging out by the lakes or in the public parks. Unfortunately, drinking in those places would get the cops called on us, so we ventured into the forest to drink. Now, this forest is really beautiful and incredibly ominous. It was an extension of the subdivision that was never developed, almost like they went in and excavated narrow paths that would eventually become roads, but did nothing further. There are two old rusted cars that look like they are from the 1970s just chilling in there, and many of the paths go nowhere. Some of them go to completely different neighborhoods. This little forest is used frequently by dog walkers, novice hikers, and drunk teenagers. If you walk to the end of one of the many cul-de-sacs on the edge of the forest, you will find a path that will eventually lead you to a wider main path. Or alternatively, you can access the forest from the main road that is adjacent to the cul-de-sacs. 
Basically, there is a bunch of ways in and out of the forest minus the river to the north. About twenty minutes along this main path, there is a steep hill you hike down and you end up in the pit. It's a perfect location to be loud and rowdy and not get the cops called, but close enough that you can find your way out fairly easy in the dark. Now that I've set the stage, I'll get on to the creepy part. One evening, I was with a large group, thirty or so, of rowdy teenagers making our way to the pit when we came across a circle of tall white candles all in a circle, maybe about ten meters away to the left in a clearing. They were unused, and we all frequented this forest enough to know they were placed there recently. We thought it was a bit creepy, but we assumed it was just a Halloween prank since it was October, and we continued onto the pit, which was about five minutes away and down the steep hill. Being quite the drinker, I don't remember the walk back clearly, but everyone made it home safe. The following day, my friend and I trekked back into the woods to retrieve her jacket and a full quart of rum. On the way back, we spotted the candles, only to notice that the candles were all burned down. Keep in mind, they were those tall white candles seen in religious ceremonies, so it took some time to burn them all the way down, in six bunches of black fabric that wasn't there the night before. I'm going to assume robes are. My friend and I noped the f out of there as fast as we could. Once we were at her house, we figured out how late we were out the night before. Three four a.m., and that our group could have possibly walked by those robe-wearing, candle-burning weirdos, not noticing because alcohol. For the next couple months, my friend and I would go and check on the candles and robes, not ever going off the path to check it out because paranoia. Until one day, the robes vanished, but the candles were moved right to the edge of the path. Though not exactly thrilling, it's something that still creeps me out to this day, and I would say it's damn mysterious. Since then, construction on the area has significantly widened the path and completely excavated the clearing where the candles once were. I still go hiking down there all the time, but the place has lost its ominous feeling. When I was 15, my friends took me to this place in my hometown. It was about a 30, 40 minute hike on a very poorly marked path through the woods, and you could come out at the top of this giant hill overlooking a few towns. It was a pretty cool spot, and after going two times with my friends, both times at night, I felt like I can totally navigate this. The next weekend, I brought my girlfriend, just me and her. I got us up on the rock, and we hung out for a while, and decided to go back down and call my family for a ride. I'm fifteen still, so we start walking down through the woods, and we get lost—really lost. I had never really paid attention to going down as much as I had going up, so we're pretty much wandering through the woods at this point with a cell phone flashlight and aiming in a general direction. Then, out of nowhere, about one hundred yards away from us. A flashlight just turns on. We both froze. It didn't move. I knew that there was a guy employed by the county who lived and worked in those woods. I had met him a handful of times, and he was a nice guy. I assumed it was him, and he could direct us. So I called out, "Hey, loud! No movement on the flashlight." I called out louder, "Hey, flashlight, turn on us!" Then it turned off. 
Then we heard a rustling like leaves heading in our direction. My girlfriend whispered, run in my ear, and we both booked it as fast as we could. After maybe ten minutes or so, I recognized the beginning of the paths and got us back to the road where we called my parents and got home. It was a very weird experience, and I still get a bit freaked out in the woods if I can't see like a road or house or anything. This happened to my grandfather years ago. I guess he was out hunting and walking around in some woods maybe five miles from a main road near where my family settled north of Pittsburgh. He said that he started seeing these burnt-out candles and started picking them up for some reason. He followed them for like a 100 yards, and at the very end there was a circle of black candles with a hole in the ground that looked to be a grave. He brought all the candles home, and my grandma yelled at him and made him throw them away. I used to often spend my summers bouldering with my friends by a relatively large forest that was about an hour and a half away from where I used to live. We used to spend some of the nights camping out there just to save some travel costs and time. Anyway, I think this was roughly like the third or fourth time we were out there camping. My friend left all her climbing gear in her rucksack just outside her tent, or we definitely think she did anyway. The next morning we found her boots. A few clothes and all her chalk powder had disappeared. We figured that it could have been completely feasible that she misplaced it. Although we were quite sure that they were next to her tent, we didn't really want to believe that they were stolen. Anyway, we didn't read too much into this and just stupidly said to ourselves that perhaps she had left it by the boulders and some animal took an interest to it. I know it sounds stupid, but it, it was very reasonable to us at the time anyway. Fast forward a year. We're at the same spot as usual, sitting by the tents and chilling after having some food. Mind you, it's pitch black out and only the camp area is lit by the fire. I go somewhere a bit out of sight for a slash, and what do I see? A dude in a full-on ghillie suit laying on his stomach looking right towards our campsite. I kinda stood there frozen as this dude clocks that I've seen him, and he just bolts it out of there. I don't know whether the event of the year prior was related to the ghillie guy, but this definitely has stuck to all of us. We haven't been back there since, which is a damn shame. I hiked very frequently and was on a trail in about eight miles from the nearest gravel road. It was just me and my dog. Just a note, I have hiked these trails frequently and only ever seen other people during mushroom hunting season and only near where the parking patches are. And this was in January, freezing cold, no mushrooms. I'd been going at it for almost two hours when I stumbled on a pile of bones large bones, bigger than human, maybe a cow, maybe buffalo, maybe horse. They were completely clean and sun-bleached, no flesh, no fur. I find deer remains all the time, always have fur on the legs. This means someone or something cleaned them, or they are old bones. The scary part is they were neatly arranged into a pyramid shape all leaning on each other like a teepee. I was just on this trail the week before, 
and there had been no bones. There had also not been a giant dead animal, and there wouldn't have been any rotting happening because it was 20F. I stared at them for a while, then turn around and spot more peculiarities. The tree behind me had several bones strung up and hung in the tree by the trail marks. They swayed in the wind and kind of clunked gently like a morbid wind chime. So this means it had to have been somebody and not some weird raccoons or something. I start to panic because does this mean somebody is watching me? Am I being warned or stalked? I always go on a select few trail and this is one of my most frequented and never have I seen someone else out so far. The hairs on my neck stand up because I'm sure I am in the crosshairs of some serial killer who has been stalking me. I walk with headphones in. He could have followed me for weeks and I wouldn't have known. My dog freezes and points toward a different large tree ten yards away. The hair of her scruff raises and she starts to growl and creep toward the tree. I'm panicking I have nothing other than my hiking stick. My dog barks once. She's forty pounds, by the way, not an attack dog, and starts sprinting toward the tree. I instinctively crouch down. She reaches the tree and a turkey takes off from the other side, gobbling as it flies away. I can still feel my pulse in my eyes as I watch it fly away. I sigh, peep my dog, and check to make sure I didn't shit myself. I snap a few pics of the weird bone shit and make my way back. Still hike through there. Bone still there. Untouched. I'm not messing with that voodoo. No idea where they came from. Probably some old coot trying to scare people. It worked on me. This happened to me about 15 to 16 years ago and scared the shit out of me. I spent 12 weeks alone in northwestern Utah. It was pretty empty. Anyhow, sometime around 3 a.m. in the morning, I was suddenly awakened by a very strange sound. It lasted about 10 seconds and it came from maybe 30 feet away. I've been camping a shit ton and have never, ever heard anything like that. It was an animal sound that was a long, low moan that had a decidedly aggressive tint to it. I sat bolt upright instantly and thought that is not a cow, not a horse, not a deer, but maybe a cow. I had no weapons except a massive mag light, and before I knew it, I was sprinting barefoot in my underwear for the unlocked truck that was who knows, 50 to 100 feet away. I got in and rolled a window partly down and looked back in the direction of the sound in my tent. Nothing. After waiting for an hour, still nothing. I can't remember if there was a moon that night. Luckily, there was a big scratchy wool sweater in the truck to put on. I never heard it again. I wish I had looked for footprints. Maybe fifteen years passed and I searched for the sound on YouTube. I was suspicious that it was a mountain lion. Yep, a mountain lion. I always knew that my life would be filled with adventures and mysteries. Ever since I was a kid, I was drawn to the unexplained, the undiscovered. And fate must have agreed, for it brought me together with my best friend, Matthew. We were two peas in a pod, 
united by our shared love for the unknown and the, the extraordinary. Luca and Matthew, the dynamic duo of eccentricity. People often raised an eyebrow at our strange interests and our incessant curiosity, but we didn't care. We had a bond that went beyond the ordinary, and nothing was going to stop us from exploring the wonders of the world. Our latest escapade led us to Brazil, a land rich in myths and legends. We had heard tales of a cryptid water creature known as the bipedal octopus, a mysterious being that supposedly inhabited the depths of the ocean. Of course, most people would dismiss it as a mere legend, but not us. We saw it as an invitation to unravel yet another enigma. Arriving in Brazil, we wasted no time. Our enthusiasm was palpable as we rented a small boat to venture into the depths of the ocean. The locals looked at us with bemusement, probably thinking we were just two crazy foreigners chasing myths. Little did they know that we were determined to turn myths into reality. We had all the necessary scuba gear and equipment ready to plunge into the unknown. As we sailed towards the location of the bipedal octopus sightings, we could hardly contain our excitement. Matthew held up a drawing of the strange creature, and I studied it carefully. The idea of coming face to face with such an extraordinary being sent shivers down my spine. After what felt like an eternity, we reached our destination, a reef hidden beneath the waves. The water glistened with a mesmerizing beauty, but we knew that there was more to this underwater realm than met the eye. We donned our scuba gear and prepared to dive into the mysterious abyss. As we explored the reef, we were captivated by its beauty. Colorful corals and exotic fish surrounded us, but we knew our true purpose lay in finding the inscriptions mentioned in the legend. It didn't take long for our keen eyes to spot something unusual on a rock crevice. Strange etchings adorned the stone, resembling a language that was both foreign and ancient. Could this be the work of the bipedal octopus? It seemed improbable, but then again, everything about this adventure was beyond the realm of normalcy. We excitedly captured images of the inscriptions, believing they held the key to unlocking the creature's existence. Our elation soon turned to shock when a tiger shark suddenly appeared, circling us menacingly. Fear gripped my heart as I realized that we might be in real danger. Matthew and I clung to each other, preparing for the worst. But fate had other plans for us that day. Just as the shark seemed ready to attack, an ethereal figure emerged from the depths. It was the water god, as the locals called it, a magnificent being covered in silvery-gray scales with a sleek build and piercing black eyes. It had the torso of a man, but was no mere mortal. The water god confronted the tiger shark, and a battle of titans unfolded before our very eyes. The shark was no match for the divine creature, who effortlessly scared it away. We watched in awe as the water god claimed victory and then turned its attention to us. In that moment, I realized that we were not just lucky witnesses to a cryptid encounter. We were in the presence of something truly extraordinary. The water god regarded us with an otherworldly gaze as if acknowledging our purpose here. And then as quickly as it appeared, it vanished into the deep blue, leaving us in awe and wonder. We swam back to the surface, 
our minds racing with the magnitude of what we had just experienced. As we boarded our boat, we knew that our lives had been forever changed by this encounter. Our instincts told us to share our incredible proof with the world, but we hesitated. The scientific community would be clamoring for our photographic evidence, and we would become instant celebrities. But something inside us told us to keep this secret close to our hearts. This was not just a story to be told. It was a journey of personal discovery that deserved to remain sacred. In the hospital where we were taken after the encounter, reporters and officials bombarded us with questions. They wanted to know every detail, see every image. But we decided to protect the water god's existence and our bond with it. We chose not to show our photographic proof, leaving the world to wonder and speculate. In the end, our decision to keep the story alive was not about fame or recognition. It was about preserving the magic and mystery of the unknown. We had encountered something divine, and we wanted to keep that sacred connection between us and the water god intact. Luca and Matthew, two eccentric friends, fascinated by the unknown, embarked on many adventures to solve mysteries. But the greatest mystery of all was the water god that saved our lives. Our bond with it was beyond the ordinary, and that was a secret worth keeping.